Section 16 of A Voyage to the Moon by Cyrano de Bergerac Translated by Archibald Lovell This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14 Of the Original of All Things, of Atoms, and of the Operation of the Senses. I prayed him, since he had showed so much goodness, and that the town was not to part till next day, that he would tell me somewhat of that original of the world which he had mentioned not long before. And I promise you, said I, that in requital, so soon as I am got back to the moon, from whence my governor, pointing to my spirit, will tell you that I am come, I'll spread your renown there by relating the rare things you shall tell me. I perceive you laugh at that promise, because you do not believe that the moon I speak of is a world, and that I am an inhabitant of it. But I can assure you also that the people of that world, who take this only for a moon, will laugh at me when I tell you that your moon is a world, and that there are fields and inhabitants in it. He answered only with a smile, and spake in this manner. Since in ascending to the original of this great all, we are forced to run into three or four absurdities, it is but reasonable we should follow the way wherein we may be least apt to stumble. I say then, that the first obstacle that stops us short is the eternity of the world, and the minds of men not being able enough to conceive it, and being no more able to imagine that this great universe so lovely and so well ordered could have made itself they have had their recourse to creation but like to him that would leap into a river for fear of being wet with rain they save themselves out of the clutches of a dwarf by running into the arms of a giant and yet they are not safe for all that for that eternity which they deny the world because they cannot comprehend it they attribute it to god as if he stood in need of that present, and as if it were easier to imagine it in the one than in the other. For tell me, pray, was it ever yet conceived in nature, how something can be made of nothing? Alas! Betwixt nothing and an atom only, there are such infinite disproportions, that the sharpest wit could never dive into them. Therefore to get out of this inextricable labyrinth, you must admit of a matter eternal with God. But you'll say to me, grant i should allow you that eternal matter how could that chaos dispose and order itself that's the thing i am about to explain to you my little animal after you have mentally divided every little visible body into an infinite many little invisible bodies you must imagine that the infinite universe consists only of these atoms which are most solid most incorruptible and most simple whose figures are partly cubical partly parallelograms partly angular partly round partly sharp pointed partly pyramidal partly six cornered and partly oval which act all severally according to their various figures and to show that it is so put a very round ivory bowl upon a very smooth place and with the least touch you give it will be half a quarter of an hour before it rest now i say that if it were perfectly round as some of the atoms i speak of are and the surface on which it is put perfectly smooth it would never rest if art then be capable of inclining a body to a perpetual motion why may we not believe that nature can do it it's the same with the other figures of which the square requires a perpetual rest others an oblique motion others a half motion as trepidation and the round whose nature is to move joining a pyramidal makes that perhaps which we call fire because not only fire is in continual agitation but also because it easily penetrates 
besides the fire hath different effects according to the openings and quality of the angles when the round figure is joined for example the fire of pepper is another thing than the fire of sugar the fire of sugar differs from that of cinnamon that of cinnamon from that of the clove and this from the fire of a faggot now the fire which is the architect of the parts and whole of the universe hath driven together and congregated into an oak the quantity of figures which are necessary for the composition of that oak but you'll say how could hazard congregate into one place all the figures that are necessary for the production of that oak i answer that it is no wonder that matter so disposed should form an oak but the wonder should have been greater if the matter being so disposed the oak had not been produced had there been a few less of some figures it would have been an elm a poplar a willow and fewer of them still it would have been the sensitive plant an oyster a worm a fly a frog a sparrow an ape a man if three dice being flung upon a table there happen a raffle of two or all a three a four and a five or two sixes and a third in the bottom would you say oh strange that each die should turn up such a chance when there were so many others a sequence of three hath happened oh strange two sixes turned up and the bottom of the third oh strange i am sure that being a man of sense you will never make such exclamations for since there is but a certain quantity of numbers upon the dice it's impossible but some of them must turn up and you wonder after that how matter shuffled together pell-mell as chance pleases should make a man seeing so many things were necessary for the construction of his being you know not then that this matter tending to the fabric of a man hath been a million times stopped in its progress for forming sometimes a stone sometimes lead sometimes coral sometimes flower sometimes a comet and all because of more or less figures that were required for the framing of a man so that it is no great wonder if amongst infinite matters which incessantly change and stir some have hit upon the construction of the few animals vegetables and minerals which we see than if in a hundred casts of the dice one should throw a raffle nay indeed it is impossible that in this hurling of things nothing should be produced and yet this will be always admired by a blockhead who little knows how small a matter would have made it to have been otherwise when the great river of makes a mill to grind or guides the wheels of a clock and the brook of only runs and sometimes absconds you will not say that that river hath a great deal of wit because you know that it hath met with things disposed for producing such rare feats for had not the mill stood in the way it would not have ground the corn had it not met the clock it would not have marked the hours and if the little rivulet i speak of had met with the same opportunities it would have wrought the very same miracles just so it is with the fire that moves of itself for finding organs fit for the act of reasoning it reasons when it finds only such as are proper for sensation it sensates and when such as are fit for vegetation it vegetates and to prove it is so put out but the eyes of a man the fire of whose soul makes him to see and he will cease to see just as our great clock will leave off to make the hours if the movements of it be broken in fine these primary and indivisible atoms make a circle whereon without difficulty move the most perplexed difficulties of natural philosophy not so much as even the very operation of the senses 
which nobody hitherto hath been able to conceive but i will easily explain by these little bodies let us begin with the sight it deserves as being the most incomprehensible our first essay it is performed then as i imagine when the tunicles of the eye whose pores resemble those of glass transmitting that fiery dust which is called visual rays the same is stopped by some opacous matter which makes it recoil and then meeting in its retreat the image of the object that forced it back and that image being but an infinite number of little bodies exhaled in an equal superfice from the object beheld it pursues it to our eye you'll not fail to object i know that glass is an opacous body and very compact and that nevertheless instead of reflecting other bodies it lets them pass through but i answer that the pores of glass are shaped in the same figure as those atoms are which pass through it and as a wheat sieve is not proper for sifting of oats nor an oat sieve to sift wheat so a box of deal board though it be thin and lets a sound go through it is impenetrable to the sight and a piece of crystal though transparent and pervious to the eye is not penetrable to the touch i could not here forbear to interrupt him a great poet and philosopher of our world said i hath after epicurus and democritus spoken of these little bodies in the same manner almost as you do and therefore you don't at all surprise me by that discourse only tell me i pray as you proceed how according to your principles you'll explain to me the manner of drawing your picture in a looking-glass that's very easy replied he for imagine with yourself that those fires of our eyes having passed through the glass and meeting behind it an opacous body that reverberates them they come back the way they went and finding those little bodies marching in equal superfices upon the glass they repel them to our eyes and our imagination hotter than the other faculties of our soul attracts the more subtle whereby it draws our picture in little it is as easy to conceive the act of hearing and for brevity's sake let us only consider it in the harmony of a lute touched by the hand of a master you'll ask me how can it be that i perceive at so great a distance a thing which i do not see does there a sponge go out of my ears that drinks up that music and brings it back with it again or does the player beget in my head another little musician with another little lute who has orders like an echo to sing over to me the same airs no but that miracle proceeds from this that the string touched striking those little bodies of which the air is composed drives it gently into my brain with those little corporeal nothings that sweetly pierce into it and according as the string is stretched the sound is high because it more vigorously drives the atoms and the organ being thus penetrated furnisheth the fancy wherewith to make a representation if too little then our memory not having as yet finished its image we are forced to repeat the same sound to it again to the end it may take enough of materials which for instance the measures of a saraband furnish it with for finishing the picture of that saraband but that operation is nothing near so wonderful as those others which by the help of the same organ excite us sometimes to joy sometimes to anger and this happens when in that motion these little bodies meet with other little bodies within us moving in the same manner or whose figure renders them susceptible of the same agitation for then these newcomers stir up their landlords to move as they do and thus when a violent air meets with the fire of our blood it inclines it to the same motion and animates it to a sally which is the thing we call heat of courage 
if the sound be softer and have only force enough to raise a less flame in greater agitation by leading it along the nerves membranes and through the interstices of our flesh it excites that tickling which is called joy and so it happens in the ebullition of the other passions according as these little bodies are more or less violently tossed upon us according to the motion they receive by the rencounter of other agitations and according as they find dispositions in us for motion so much for hearing now i think the demonstration of touching will be every whit as easy if we conceive that out of all palpable matter there is a perpetual emission of little bodies and that the more we touch them the more evaporates because we press them out of the subject itself as water out of a sponge when we squeeze it the hard make a report to the organ of their hardness the soft of their softness the rough etc and since this is so we are not so quaint in feeling with hands used to labour because of the thickness of the skin which being neither porous nor animated with difficulty transmits the evaporations of matter some perhaps may desire to know where the organ of touching has its residence for my part i think it is spread all over the surface of the body seeing in all parts it feels yet i imagine that the nearer the member wherewith we touch be to the head the sooner we distinguish which experience convinces us of when with shut eyes we handle anything for then we'll more easily guess what it is and if on the contrary we feel it with our hinder feet it will be harder for us to know it and the reason is because our skin being all over perforated our nerves which are of no compacter matter lose by the way a great many of those little atoms through the little holes of their contexture before they reach the brain which is their journey's end it remains that i speak of the smelling and tasting pray tell me when i taste a fruit is it not because the heat of my mouth melts it confess to me then that there being salts in a pear and that they being separated by dissolution into little bodies of a different figure from those which make the taste of an apple they must needs pierce our palate in a very different manner just so as the thrust of a pike that passes through me is not like the wound which a pistol bullet makes me feel with a sudden start and as that pistol bullet makes me suffer another sort of pain than that of a slug of steel i have nothing to say as to the smelling seeing the philosophers themselves confess that it is performed by a continual emission of little bodies now upon the same principle will i explain to you the creation harmony and influence of the celestial globes with the immutable variety of meteors he was about to proceed but the old landlord coming in made our philosopher think of withdrawing he brought in crystals full of glow-worms to light the parlour but seeing those little fiery insects lose much of their light when they are not fresh gathered these which were ten days old had hardly any at all my spirit stayed not till the company should complain of it but went up to his chamber and came immediately back again with two bowls of fire so sparkling that all wondered he burnt not his fingers these incombustible tapers said he will serve us better than your week of worms they are rays of the sun which i have purged from their heat otherwise the corrosive qualities of their fire would have dazzled and offended your eyes i have fixed their light and enclosed it within these transparent bowls that ought not to afford you any great cause of admiration for it is not harder for me who am a native of the sun to condense his beams which are the dust of that world 
than it is for you to gather the atoms of the pulverized earth of this world thereupon our landlord sent a servant to wait upon the philosopher's home it being then night with a dozen globes of glow-worms hanging at his four legs as for my preceptor and myself we went to rest by order of the physiognomist he laid me that night in a chamber of violets and lilies and ordered me to be tickled after the usual manner End of chapter 14